The Full 60 is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And GameTime doesn't just sell sporting events tickets. They also do concerts. So, for example, OAR is coming to to town here in Detroit. I want to say Royal Oak. Um, this week. So let's say hypothetically you're into, I would say, late 90s, early 2000s college jam bands. You are in luck with Game Time because you can buy that OAR ticket with their easy two-tap checkout um, and be in and out with the ticket to the OAR show in no time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to The Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is Ted Leonsis, who, of course, is the founder and owner of Monumental Sports and Entertainment, which owns the Washington Capitals, the Washington Wizards, the Washington Mystics, amongst uh, many other entities. Um, and it's he's been on a pretty good run, I would say, uh, for a while as a owner of these sports teams. Ted and I may not have a, a ton in common. I mean, he's a billionaire <laughs> or whatever he is, and I'm, I am not, sadly. Um, but what, what we do share, I would say, is a genuine curiosity about people and about things. And that's why I was really excited about having him on the podcast because he has done a lot of interesting things. Like I have pages of kind of notes um, that I prepared before talking to him um, in stuff I didn't even get to. Like I would I would love to even have a party. That's when you know it's good when you're sitting there going, holy cow, I have two pages of notes that I didn't even touch, including the thing I really wanted to ask him. I'm so mad about this, about the board game that he created. Like that's on my list of things to do. That's a, a complete aside. But um, we were able to have two separate conversations to get to our full 60 because he's a busy guy. And so the first part is a phone interview we did while he was at a conference in Detroit. And the second part is I caught back up with him, I would say a few weeks later, maybe it's been a month now. Um, I think he was back in his office. Uh, so it's a, it's a two-parter, but I tried to make it as seamless as possible. And we got into a, a lot of things, uh, including his path, buying the capitals, Alex Ovechkin in a 13-year contract, and now here we are. It's almost up, and Alex has scored nearly 700 goals. It's crazy. And so this conversation spans a lot. So let's jump right into it. The full 60 with Ted Leonsis. So what brings okay. you to Detroit? Um, there's the Forbes 30 Under 30 oh, event. Right. And so it's entrepreneurs, and there's a big track on sports, but also on, obviously, venture investing. And yeah. so 
one of my other lives at Revolution Growth and Revolution Ventures. A lot of our companies are here. Yeah. And I'm an investor in a couple of companies here in Detroit, like StockX. Right. Have you heard of StockX? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and also Shinola Watch Company. So oh, you're in on Shinola. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm chairman of Shinola. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that. Yeah. It's going pretty well, it seems. Yeah. 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 Great brand. Great, great, great products. Oh, that's that's fascinating. All right, well, so I love that as a jumping off point. What do you remember about sure. being under thirty? Like you were already at that point, you had sold the magazine, so things were going pretty well. Yeah, yeah I started my first company when I was twenty-five, oh. and um, sold it when I was twenty-seven, mm-hmm. um, and kind of lost my way a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> not really. You know, you. I felt like sometimes uh, today's NBA or NFL player, you know, you're one and done, you come out, you, you're not really prepared for wealth. Right. And you think it's going to make you happy. It was really interesting listening to Adam Silver talk about the ennui and angst of NBA players and social media and, you know, how how we have to reconnect with what's really important. Right. And so I was not fulfilled after starting and selling my first company. And I actually have written a book about this experience called The Business of Happiness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've read it, a lot it of that. Came, have you? Yeah. yeah. So I got on the wrong airplane, and you have kind of a life-altering experience. And so, really, for the last 30 years, I've been trying to live up to the sound bite that I used to negotiate with the higher <laughs> authorities that the place was struggling. I said, um, um, my only prayer, my only deal point is if I get through this, I will leave more than I take. Yeah. And... So that's what I've been trying to do. You know, and sports is such a great platform to do that. Um, You know, what I call double bottom line enterprises that you can do really, really good work for your community. Mm -hmm. And, And when you do really good work, you'll do really well in terms of building long term value. Yeah. Um, but you can't lead that way, right? The, the thesis is that if you're successful, that doesn't mean you'll be happy. Right. But if you're happy and self-actualized, you can be successful. And, and so that's what's been such a joy about owning the sports teams. You, you know, bring communities closer together in Washington, D.C., you know, we've now won for the Capitals and the Mystics last month and the WNBA. Uh, we won the Arena Bowl and the Arena Football League. Uh, we've won a couple of championships in esports with our Team Liquid. Uh, Peter Gruber and I uh, bought Team Liquid five years ago together, and we're the best esports team in North America. And we've seen how binding you can make a community and 
especially Washington, D.C., which is so divided, right. you know, economically and liberals and, and conservatives and left and right. Yet when we won the Stanley Cup and we had this parade with almost a million people together, the community was one. It was united. It was yeah. like the only thing that Washington, D.C. could agree upon. <laughs> right. And and we've made women's sports uh, in Washington, D.C. with the Mystics. And we were on the front page of the Washington Post. It drove Tony Kornheiser, you know, old school, oh, old yeah. Washington Post PTI out of his mind. I love like, the reaction could... on Twitter, too. I, I, the, the, yeah. <laughs> remind me of <laughs> Yeah. So... Um, so that's been the joy on owning the teams. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned your book. In, in there, I mean, you talk about the importance of, of finding a higher calling to kind of fuel your enterprises. And I'm, and I'm curious about that when it comes to sports ownership because – and I've talked about – on this podcast with a few people that, are, that do this for a living that are in the sports world. It, I think it can be hard sometimes. Like we're talking about games essentially and finding that higher calling. So – what have you found with, with in sports ownership and in that world? What have you found the most rewarding part of that higher calling, or what is that higher calling um, in the world? You know, well, we we have we articulate to everyone in our organization, all four thousand people now. Uh, we want to compete and win championships with every team in every league that we compete in, but not to win the championship, but to make lifelong memories and mm. bring a divided community closer together. That's number one. Yeah. And that it feeds off of one another. We've built our monumental sports and entertainment as a platform company, if you will, mm -hmm. where, you know, the Wizards and the Caps and the Mystics and the Go-Go, they're, they're very close with one another. We share a lot of resources, and they root for each other's success, and it becomes contagious. And the culture that we're building, so we said, let's, let's be world-class and win championships to make memories and bring the community closer together. Two, let's be the most socially responsible, most generous organization in Greater Washington. And we can do that because we punch way above our weight in terms of interest and sponsors and season ticket holders and players. And if we can build that community around common causes, mm -hmm. we can have tremendous impact and uplift neighborhoods. You know, we just where Capital One Arena was built, you know, now it's it's the center of Washington, D.C. Previously, it was a forlorn, abandoned area. Yeah. Uh, we just built and worked with the city to move the Wizards practice facility, the Mystics and the Go-Go play uh, in this new building in St. Elizabeth's, um, where we created 300 jobs and we employ people who are out of work and, and 
And we're trying to make Ward 8 St. Elizabeth's uplifted, if you will, and we want to be great neighbors, but we were catalytic to that positive growth and change. And, and three, if we can win championships, uniting the community and be generous and socially responsible, we could become, because Washington, D.C. is one of the greatest, most powerful, wealthiest, educated cities on earth, the most valuable sports and entertainment franchise. We'll do this year $550 million in revenue. Hmm. You know, I've been reading about, um, you know, NFL teams and how they're valued. Yeah. And, you know, usually these teams are valued anywhere from five, six times revenues to 10 times revenues. Yeah. And so, you know, we're probably valued at three, three and a half billion dollars, but we have a growth plan to get to a billion. You know, we say, why can't we be the first $10 billion company in sports and entertainment in a regional area? So, but, but that's the third goal. The the first is you, and, and as we evangelize that, and we show proof points of it. It's why a player like Bradley Beal says, sign me up. Yeah. I share in that. I, I went to Caps games, playoff games with you and your family. You invited me and my family. I participated in the parade. I got my picture taken with the cup. I went to every Mystics playoff game. I was there when they won the championship. A Mystics lead player is one of our assistant coaches, Christy Colliver. I've seen what it's like here. I saw Bradley Beal last night at the World Series game. He went to the Nationals game with his with his partner and and it's like Yes, I want to be a part of this. I, I, I want to be a part. Yes, I'm going to get paid a lot of money. I'm an NBA player. I get a max deal. But, but this is what I want to be a part of. I believe I want to grow and help us to reach all of those aspirations. And that's, you know, that was like two weeks ago, and I think it surprised a lot of people. It didn't surprise us. I never had any doubt because Brad gets it. Alex Ovechkin gets it. Nick Backstrom gets it. John Wall gets it. Elena Deladon gets it. I mean, the players who are here, they, of course they want to be great players and MVPs and all-stars and get paid a lot of money. But they want to be part of something bigger than themselves and bigger than just being an athlete. And they see this as an organization in a city that embraces that ideal. Now, it's not right for everyone, but for these world-class players and also the people who are able to recruit into our organization – you know, Sashi Brown, we just brought in, who was an NFL guy, right? Danny Medina, who we just brought in to run monumental basketball's health and wellness. 
and he grew up in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. He was a bit with Philadelphia, and but they bring different perspectives. And one day you should talk to Danny because um, yeah. he's been around one of the most valuable teams in the world in Barcelona, and it's been with another NBA team. And he says, hey, the difference in what you're building and what you're doing here is palpable. Mm. And it's very exciting for him and for our employees. And then when you actually win the championships, everyone goes, oh, yeah, it really can happen. (laughs) And, you know, the national success right now, we're very close with the nationals. And they feel like we're a part of their success. We've been growing the whole environment and we've given the community permission to compete for championships. Mm. Was there a point where you wondered if it, if this would this kind of strategy or this culture would actually result in championships? It took a long time for the Capitals to get there. You know what I mean? Like that was a team that's uh, always knocking on the door. Yeah. No, I never lost faith. Okay. And sometimes the players could lose faith. Right. And I would sit and speak to them. You can talk to Nick Backstrom. Nick had some second thoughts, and we would talk all the time. Uh, When we won the Stanley Cup at the after party, I walked in, and Nick came running over to me Mm. and said, I'm crying, and said, I love you, thank you, and thank you for not listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. He said, yeah. And so, but that's what I think leaders have to do. You have to have a strong vision and a great strategy and invest and believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you continue to be excellent, you know, you make the playoffs all the time, sooner or later, you'll punch through, you'll get a little luck, you'll get a little help. You know, and health is the one thing. I went to the Nets game last night, and Shearza couldn't pitch. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, my gosh. Right? That's what other businesses like that. The penultimate game, and your best pitcher can't go. Mm. Right? And they announce it at 3 o'clock for 7 o'clock. So... Um, but you should talk to you know talk to Brad, talk to Danny, and they'll you know they'll they'll show you why it's different and why they want to be a part of it. Um, so when when you're putting your list your your 101 life goals together and owning a sports franchise is one of them, was it with that in mind or like I want to I want to create this culture and and change a city tie a city together or was it well, like hey that'll be a cool thing to do <laughs> I want to own a team. Well, I was younger when I made the list. Yeah. And then it's actually a cute story because um, America Online bought my company. We went public. I got married. I had kids. And I was a season ticket holder for the Washington Capitals. Mm -hmm. And I'd go to games with my son and my daughter and my wife. And... A couple years, I guess it was 2000, right after they went to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Dick Patrick, who's one of my partners now, approached me and said, I've seen your life list, um, 
And here's an opportunity to buy the Washington Capitals and a part of the Wizards, and one day you could own everything. And he pitched me, and I passed. Oh, I didn't know that. I said, you know, yeah, I said, American Line's grown really, really fast. I'm very connected to its mission. And I'm married. I have kids. This is a lot of money, a lot of scrutiny and work, and I passed. Mm-hmm. And I went home that night, and after dinner, my wife says, so what's new? And I tell her the story, and she says, what you say? And so, well, I passed. You know, I love you. I love the kids. AOL, too much scrutiny. Uh, it's not right for us right now. And later took a shower, laying in bed, and right before we go to bed, my wife says, what if you get 99 of the 101 things on your list done, but you don't buy a team and don't win a championship? How are you going to feel? And I said, this is why I love you. <laughs> and I'm going to feel awful. Yeah. And next day I called and negotiated and bought the teams. <laughs> That's amazing. And yeah. so, so how so many, what, what, what number are you on? Like, you've got to be close. You've got to be in the 90s for my math. I'm, I'm in the 90s, yeah. Although someone said, what happens when you get to 101? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think I'll die right. <laughs> when I do it. But I still haven't gotten a hole in one. I still haven't gone into outer space. I, I haven't taken a year off and sailed around the world. I mean, there's some tough ones still to accomplish. Don't have grandchildren. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, I I said win an Oscar or an Emmy Award. And 15 years later, I read a book and an obituary and made a film, my first film, and it won the Emmy Award. That's crazy. You know, a little bit of serendipity. Yeah. Right, but yeah. also envisioning and then executing to meet the goal, and and when I autograph my book for people, mostly young kids, I say make your list. Mm-hmm. There's a real power to it, and you know now I've self-actualized. I've grown up a little bit, and I'm not as focused on the check marks. I'm more focused on what does it mean for the community and, you know, what's the higher calling on things and how do we give back? Uh, but my goal is um, to take my reckoning, which I had when I was 28 years old, and use it to live up to my deal, which was to leave more than I take. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can get to space. I feel like that's doable. Yes, it's uh, very, very doable. It might be the last one yeah. <laughs> that I try, though, because <laughs> right? was... that's still, that's still. In fact, right outside my office, I have a portrait. There's a famous astronaut who just passed away, who's buried uh, in Arlington Cemetery, named Al Bean, mm-hmm. and Al was an artist. And I have a painting right outside my office of him on the moon that he painted, and he used some actual, he took some moon rocks, and he made dust. And so the, the painting has moon dust in it. And I 
keep it as a reminder to everyone on, you know, how Kennedy says, let's land a man on the moon in 10 years. They said it was impossible. They did it in eight. Yeah. And what are our moonshots? That's what moonshots are. You know, win championships, build the biggest, most important company, be the most socially responsible. Those are big goals we should be able to accomplish and not be afraid of. Yeah. And and for me, it's also going into outer space. We just spent our you know 50th anniversary of landing a man on the moon, and one of the great days in D.C. this summer was being on the National Mall. They showed this man going to the moon, and they used the Washington Monument. You can go Google it, mm-hmm. where they sh- they made the Washington Monument look like the actual rocket taking off for the moon. It was goosebump-inducing, fantastic community building. Oh, that's that's great. Um, yeah. So, all right, there's, gosh, there's so much I want to get into, but I, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you you've talked about being an extrovert and and just the advantages it gives, gets you. I think we're hearing a lot about, and maybe I'm, I'm reading it more because I'm introverted, like the power of the introvert. Yeah. What's been the power of, of being an extrovert? What has that allowed you? Um, wisdom of crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're introverted, you tend to rely a lot on your own instincts. And if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs exam, you've ever taken Myers-Briggs? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and so I'm an ENTJ. I'm extroverted. I'm intuitive. I'm thoughtful and I'm judgmental. Okay. And in a time of crisis, like I had a terminate all long-term president, Ernie Grunfeld, mm-hmm. I go high on the E. That's why I went out and interviewed 80 people, right. talked to everyone I could because I had intuition on what I wanted to do. I was reading everything I could. I had hired a bunch of consultants to be thoughtful about it. But I knew at the end of the day, I had to make the final judgment yeah. and that many hands would make light work. And the best way to make the best decision was to talk to a lot of people. But you have to have your own screen and filter yeah. where an introvert who's high on the eye might have slacked himself in his room and made his own decision, which... You know, it was shocking to me how the industry was like, well, you've done two interviews, two hours each with these people. What's taking so long to fire somebody? <laughs> right. Like, that's bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I think the league must be run by introverts. Right. <laughs> was, was the process similar for George after George McPhee, you know, the transition from George to Brian McClellan? Yeah, and to be blunt, it was shocking because we were, um, we talked to lots of people. Mm-hmm. It didn't leak. And then we met with Brian, and Brian was the most thoughtful and wasn't afraid to tell me what I didn't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and it, where everybody else was like selling themselves. It was, you know, the first date, their best foot forward. Right. And Brian was um, very direct, 
which was um, I reported to George. We're best friends. He's a great GM. Here's his record. You've terminated him. I know I'm a long-shot candidate. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I would do, like to the dollar and who I would trade for and what I would do. And don't listen to the people in the media about Alex Ovechkin. And, you know, none of these people know what they're talking about. <laughs> and he was fantastic. And that took courage. Yeah. Right. If you go back and look at when we hired him, what the reaction was. Yeah, it wasn't great. And no, and here we are. I mean, I think we have the most playoff appearances, the second best record. I mean, it was won a Stanley Cup. You've sold out 600 games or something. Um, and Brian's done a great, great job. And I expect the same of Tommy. And what I was proud of with Tommy was, yes, there was many hands to make life work. Mm-hmm. And so bringing in Sashi, bringing everybody else in. Am I up now? Okay, I got five more minutes. Okay, yeah, I'll keep it tight. Okay. Um, Great. All right. Well, let's 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 wrap with this because I, I read okay. someone referred to you or what your one of your biggest strengths is your genius at seeing around the corners. Which, when you kind of look at everything as a whole that you've been able to do, it's it's like you're you're out front of things. Even like something like the AOL Time Warner merger. Like if you look at it now, it's like that probably was just ahead of its time. And I know you didn't have anything to do with it necessarily. Like why do you why do you think or what are you looking for that has allowed you to? See what's happening. Now it comes from my liberal arts background, and I went to Georgetown, yeah. and they talked about connecting head, heart, soul, building a whole person. And uh, I am incredibly curious. I read 50 books a year, I read 20 magazines a month. When I'm extrovert and I'm out, I talk to everyone. I usually say, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Tell me your story. And it's incredible what you can learn from different industries, different people to uh, get like that. So Ted had to run. He was about to, I think he was going to take the stage at some conference. He was like on a hard out, as you can tell, um, before the conversation wrapped up. Uh, before we get to part two, uh, two things. One, I would encourage you to, if you don't have the Athletic app or if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic um, and you want full access to our archives, um, we're every single week we're re-releasing um, previous interviews from the Full 60. This week we had Lawrence Gelman on, if you remember that interview, or if you never listened to it, he was great. He's now the assistant GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it was a, a really fascinating conversation with Lawrence, and that was just released this week. So, if you're not a subscriber, we uh, full sixty listeners get forty percent off. If you just go to theathletic.com/slash/full sixty, you get a forty percent discount on the athletic. And the other thing, I just wanted to give a huge thank you to everybody since the last podcast that went out and left reviews on Apple Podcasts. We've got over five hundred ratings now um i don't know if they're all five star but it's enough to give us a five star rating on apple Podcasts, and i can't tell you how much i appreciate that and so i did want to take this one moment to thank 
the most recent one from Ted the Wild Fan, who said, Craig consistently brings thoughtful, surprising, inclusive, prog- progressive content. Progressive. I like that. I discovered him through the old ESPN podcast with LeBron, Birdside, etc. As a disciple of Mike Russo, I was delighted to join The Athletic, where excellent sports journalism rules and be able to get more customs. Best hockey podcast, in my opinion. And that's it. So thank you, Ted. I really appreciate that. And everybody else who left a review, it is a huge help. All right, that's it. So let's get right back to part two. This is with Ted Leonsis, uh, I believe, from his office. Great conversation. And we tried to pick up pretty close to where we left off. So here you go. So, um, you know, obviously, I went back and listened to it. And where we ended, it was interesting because we were talking about I, – I, I had shared a quote with you that someone said, you're a genius at seeing around corners. And we were kind of talking about how you look ahead. And you said your answer was it's your curiosity that really drives that. And you were just kind of starting to go down that path. And I'd be curious to hear more on that. Like where, where does that curiosity come from and where, how best do you think it served you? Um, well, I, I get bored of <laughs> short attention span. Yeah. And so I, and I, I think I had mentioned that when I was growing up, my mom and dad didn't let me watch a lot of TV. Yeah. So I had to entertain myself and I had to develop like my imagination. And one of the ways you do that is to hang out with different people and, read magazines and newspapers and books like this year. I'm going to think I'll end up reading almost 60 books. Wow. I think I'll, I could do 60 books and, and I try with everyone I meet, I usually say, so what's your story? Mm. And it's amazing the stories that you hear and the things that you learn just by asking that. Yeah. And, and you know, whenever I hear about diversity or I'm, um, you know, reading management treaties on diversity, they always bring it down to, um, well, are you a male or female? What color are you? You know, and I just find diversity is so important, but it's more diversity of backgrounds and opinions and what's your narrative and story. And that's just kind of how I was raised. And it has served me incredibly well in my business to be able to connect the dots from lots of different businesses, industries, background to create something new. Do you have a go-to book that you either give out or recommend in in your kind of your dear basis? Um, well, there's a there's a book that just came out maybe three months ago that I've been given to people called Factual, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, remarkable because it starts out with a test. You're given a test, okay, and they have given this test to a thousand people in every country of the world, and then they take all of that data and and it's truly amazing and it's essentially is the world better or worse today compared to 10 years ago 25 years ago 50 years ago yeah and it asks some very very 
basic questions and and then it shows you what people in the United States how they voted and in Sweden how they voted and the like and it's it's um posit is that if you're not innately curious and trying to get to the core of the fact facts you will be wrong because the media has <laughs> to report the edge cases and right. so so I give people that book because it's atmospherically there can be opinions and movements and trends and thoughts and it's so much easier to ride along with that public opinion that's created by social media and media as opposed to asking for like the facts mm -hmm. right can you tell me about that and i think that is one of the things on curiosity right yeah um it's you you say well that doesn't sound right you know where, where did that come from and and so so i that's the book i've been giving to people of late so in your world in the world of sports where do you, where's the biggest I guess misalignment between the narrative that maybe we as the media. Well, I'll, give feed you, I'll give you one. I'll, I'll give you one. That this, yeah. yeah, this off season we had to do a gut check and totally recast and redo and reset the Washington Wizards. Mm -hmm. And and we have two star players. One of them's hurt. It's going to you know, possibly miss the whole year. We have one great player. Um, even though our payroll is very high, we have one guy, Bradley Beal, who's playing, and John Wall isn't playing. Right. And and a lot of players left, or we didn't re-sign them. And so the conventional, traditional thinking was... Uh, Bradley Beal will demand a trade and will want to leave Washington. Yeah. And why would he want to stay? He'll be double teamed, triple teamed, and no one else but he can score the ball for the team. Right. And that was a narrative, yet we are very fact based and analytic based and we have lots of young smart planners and thinkers and stat people and we were rebuilding and much, trying to get much younger and Bradley Beal signed an extension mm -hmm. and that was like a good sign and then we became one of the highest scoring teams. Our first home game, we lost 159 to 158. <laughs> Our first game. <laughs> That's, That's true. Right? Um, James Harden, we, we lost to Houston, was asked, uh, boy, that was a surprising win against a team that you wouldn't have thought would have scored that many points how do you explain your victory? And he said, oh, we just played better defense. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was like the line of the year, That's you know, beautiful. the first game. 
Um, but that's that's what I mean that yeah. that someone wrote that story without facts. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt right, you know. Yeah, they they injured. They didn't do well last year. Sure. Why would Bradley Beal stay? And how will they score? And he signs a long-term extension, and we become one of the highest-scoring teams in the league. Now, we're historically bad on defense, which no one wrote. <laughs> so, so you know what it goes to? It's the, it's the, I think maybe it was Leo DeRocher mm-hmm. said, no one knows nothing. I think that's, you'll have to... Type in the Google. Yeah. Gina, type in the Google, who said no one knows nothing, which is such a great quote, right? That's great. <laughs> well, I wanted to say well, this. I'm just yeah. glad we in the hockey media never created any false narratives around Alex Ovechkin <laughs> because we would never. Plato. <laughs> Wait, I said Leo DeRocha, and it says, no, Plato said that. No one knows nothing? <laughs> Plato couldn't have said that. <laughs> I think Leo stole it from Plato, maybe. <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Um, so, uh, kind of in line with your kind of foresight, and I don't—you've spoken a lot about kind of the impact of sports betting. So I don't want to rehash any of that. But but what I do want you to do, if you can, is create a, a vision of what you think it's going to look like. If that makes sense, because I know you've mentioned like a genius bar in an Apple store is the comparison. I'm. What does it look like? in reality in in the race okay, so so and that's it's a good way a good exercise in fact um i just went through a big staff meeting before we came here and i keep prodding people to say look out 10 years mm-hmm. and then look back in how did you get there and I said, well, where were we last January? We were preparing in this room for a game last January where the Wizards played the Knicks in London. And we took everyone to London, and we stayed at like the Four Seasons Hotel, and, and we played at the O2. And the O2 is the most popular, most trafficked arena in the world. Yeah. And the O and the O2 was further away from where we stayed than here to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And it was wow. <laughs> right. You no, know, we right. didn't we didn't think of it like that. Yeah. Right? So so that, that's, that's what I mean by being curious and counterintuitive. And like when I went to London, I went and visited soccer teams. I like checked out what the mileage was to go to the O2. I saw yeah. that, hey, one of the viable ways that they commute people, because there's so much traffic, they have all these water taxis, right? Like we don't have really a big water taxi system here, yet Baltimore has this huge, huge um, harbor. And like, what could the world look like in 10 years? Could, could DC, Tyson's Corner and DC and Baltimore all look like it's London? Yeah. Because right? that's how spot. big London has become. 
Yeah. And and so just connecting dots and being curious and you know learning about history and the like I think is you know unbelievably important. It's also fun. It's also great at cocktail parties, right? Like <laughs> right. We, we were talking the other day about about the the suffrage movement and and how bootlegging um you know marijuana was legalized in a bunch of places it's it's legal here in Washington DC now they're making sports betting legal yeah right and it's right. 19 states or whatever and i said well it's no different than the temperance movement and and suffrage and the vote and how and how all of a sudden all of a sudden alcohol was outlawed it was illegal but it didn't mean people stopped drinking and a dark web al capone was developed and and al capone back in the day was like Bill Gates is today, right? I think he was the richest man in the country, ill-gotten gains. In fact, he was eventually brought down by the IRS. Yeah. Right? That yeah. that's how they they got Al Capone. And and so the 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 stills to make alcohol were made in the deep south. And because they were made in the Deep South, and the police and the FBI started to find out where the stills were, the bootleggers made souped-up cars. They just had to be able to outrun and be faster than the police cars that were bought in mass. And those bootleggers in the souped-up cars, that's how NASCAR started. <laughs> right. I actually knew that. <laughs> right? I, I spent enough time right? in Georgia to learn the, uh, to, to get the back NASCAR history. Right. So, yeah. so, so just being curious on all the unintended consequences. And, you know, I just said, hey, with sports betting – 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we're going to look back and just, you know, young executives are going to say, can you believe this was like illegal? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? That, right. That you weren't allowed to do this. And so my belief is that there's a societal inevitability uh, around um, any thing that is technology and data driven mm. and that has a more societal upside in job creation in not putting more people in prison and in broadening the tax base that if you have those three things going for you there's just an inevitability that it will become socialized and popular. Right. And so I said, you know, let's again go 10 years out and say that's how the world's going to be. So let's be the early mover. 
and do everything by the book, obviously, because we are all for regulation here. We're all for transparency. Right. And if we can do it right in Washington, D.C., it can serve as a positive exemplar, you know, for the rest of the country and for, you know, all of the states and cities that haven't yeah. proved this. Where's the connection? Because I was asked this question because I, and I couldn't come up with a great answer. I, yeah. I, I understand that the player tracking that's coming on the NHL side, some there's it, it kind of goes hand in hand with, with with the expectation of being able to bet on the games, but I, like I'm not sure I understand exactly what that correlation is. What is that? Sure. So so right now we've invented sports. Uh, for a television generation. Okay. It, it's still presented on TV, you know, it, at center court, right, behind the batter's box. I mean, there, there's a optical training that we've all had, center ice, yeah. that, you, that you watch the game. Now, we know that our brains are being retrained for young people in many ways, right? Like if you today go to a 12-year-old boy or girl and you say, choose the view from the camera of the game at static at the center court or or at center ice, or like you're playing a video game mm. going going net to net, 80% of them or more will choose that because they're being optically trained to be in the game. Right. Right? And and so so you know, you have to start to advocate to your media partners, hey, you need video game and esport angles and the amount of data that is processed in real time and served up to you in video games and in um and in esports that needs to start to translate because these young people that are playing video games will go on to consume their media as they you know, go to college and they graduate. So mm-hmm. how do you start to make that change? And and so so in you know, every arena and if you've been to our arena this year, like we're gonna be one of the first that has five G in. Okay. And and five G is a game changer just because you'll you're always on and you have real fast connectivity. Right. And it'll allow you to do more real-time processing. Then you have to ask some questions on, well, should 5G be a part of a bundle that you make available to everyone or do you upsell that with your tickets? Right? Like in Mm -hmm. video games, you... You're paying for something, and then you want hyperspeed, or you want more weapon power, right? right and you right. pay for it. In that purchases. And yeah, so, yeah. So it's how 
could you turn connectivity now and speed into a business or a perk to your season ticket holders and the like? Mm-hmm. Then how do you increase the engagement of the fan to the game, to the team, to the player, to the outcome? And we know today statistically that um, if you're playing fantasy football and you're watching the game, your your, um, passion for the NFL and all teams and lots of players on lots of teams increases dramatically. Right. And if you're betting or doing prop betting, your desire to watch from the beginning of the game to the very end of the game dramatically increases. Right. So, so an unintended consequence of 5G and gaming and gambling will be increased engagement for the media partners, which ends up being good news for the advertisers and the sponsors. Yeah. Right? Because they want you to be watching their ads. They want you to be involved. And now we'll start to see, I believe, not only will the media but the advertising and the sponsorship will be redefined to be more interactive, more um, engaging, more in context of things. Yeah. Right? And so someone said to me, well, give me an example. I said, okay, well, if you are watching your game digitally and your gaming around um, how fast do we think this pitch will be? Um, how fast do we think the slap shot will be? Yeah. Um, and and you, the data is showing that speed is something that is of interest to you. Hey, I think this guy... The count is three and two in the baseball game. There's two outs. There's a man on second. He's been throwing 80 to 85 miles an hour, but we know he's capable at 90. This is the 90-mile-an-hour pitch. Yeah. And, And speed, speed, speed. Well, the ad that would show up for you is going to be for an automotive. It's going to be for a sports car. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be for depends diapers right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and so so the the ripple effect of you oh well you're going to do some gaming or sports betting. You go well no geez. Everything will now, the value chain will be affected everywhere. The CMS, the content management system that is being created to present the games. And will there be a wallet now that's built in, right? Hey, we've got wire, we've got paperless ticketing, we've got, you get credits in the game. Will those credits on your season ticket that you can buy jerseys, you know, that you can buy 
hot dogs and hamburgers and beer. Will yeah. you be able to use that in virtual betting and gaming, right? And and so it's it's always fascinating and what I get really excited about and curious and why it's good to just be well read, if you will, or yeah. or asking lots of people lots of questions is is you look at what happened in another industry or another country and how will that unfold here mm-hmm. and what are the ramifications around that. Right. And I, I think if you get it right, you get a lot of the value that comes your way. Right. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap up with this. Our conversations seem to go really fast to me. Let's wrap up with this, Ted. We, I, and I was talking to Sergey about we were exchanging emails about Alex Ovechkin closing in on 700 goals, which is crazy to me on a lot of levels. And it, and it reminded me about the contract. You like that 13 year contract you and him worked out a long time ago now. And, and when we talk about foresight, now I can't believe we're to a point where it's almost done with. Did you imagine this is how it would play out? Um, I'd be lying if I said yes, exactly. I mean, I knew the risk associated with it. Yeah. You know, I have gone on record as saying, you know, the biggest mistake I made was not making it 15 years, right? <laughs> Only yeah, you can use a couple more years. years. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it could only work with a remarkably self-actualized, incredibly driven athlete, competitor, human being like Alex Ovechkin. And I believed in him the first day that I spent quality time with him. I said, this is a very unique person who is programmed, destined for greatness and has something about him. He has that it factor and, you know, from the day we drafted him to his first game, um, he he just did things that you had never seen. His first play, as we all recall, he drove a player from Columbus into the glass and broke the glass at <laughs> Capital One Arena, yeah. Verizon Center at the time, right? And And then he scored the tying goal and then the winning goal in overtime, his first yeah. game. And it was like, okay, you know, we got something special. And then he was rookie of the year, and he scored that amazing goal. And he was rookie of the year over Sidney Crosby, who's like the other generationally spectacular great player. Um, But but with Alex, um, and and we've talked about this on several occasions, in in. The, the world moves so quickly and, and change happens so much. And when we negotiated Alex off of his rookie contract, everyone was getting five-year deals. Mm-hmm. And Sidney Crosby, I believe, had just signed a five-year deal. So we followed... Sidney Crosby by offering Alex a five-year deal, you know, at the max. Yeah. And then Dick Patrick, to his credit, said, you know, the five years is going to go like a snap of the finger. 
in three years from now, we're going to start to hear, is Alex going to stay? Should we trade him to get something back? You know, is <laughs> right. he going to demand a trade? Will he be a free agent? What if we said, um, let's negotiate your unrestricted free agency today? So we'll do the five years. And then at the time, free agents were signing seven-year deals. Yeah. So we went to them and we said to Alex and his mom, hey, we will do the five-year deal, but how about we negotiate the seven-year deal now? We'll give you a 12-year deal. And they said, no, 13 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they said that? <laughs> I love yeah. that. Might as well we at that said, point. Yeah, we said, okay, done. Now, what they got for it was security, right? right? In that Alex could get into an accident, he could hurt, get hurt, his performance could have dropped off, and all of the risk would have been on us, right? And, and so he got security. He took risk in that if, as the cap continued to go up, what started out as the biggest contract and he was the highest paid, he wouldn't be after time. Right? right. I don't think he's the highest paid player in the league. No. To his credit, and I also believe to our credit, we never once thought we've given him too long of a deal. We wish we hadn't have done that. And he never once has said you know, you got a really good deal here. It's hey, we're in this together. We're married. This is perfect. Yeah. And it's turned out to be, you know, fantastic with what he's helped us to create here and build. But what I'm so proud of him and proud of the organization, the city, everyone feels like we've been in it together. Right. And and you know, he's remarkable. He never thought, I never thought, no one ever thought that he could catch Wayne Gretzky. He's still got a million miles to go to get there. But now you do the math. Yeah, it's there. There's a path. You know what? There's a path there. That's a record I honestly thought no one would get close to right Mm -hmm. now. As I said, he's got a million miles to go, but he's one of the league leaders in goals this year. You know, can he get, he's at 20 goals now, we're third of the season. Could he get to 40, 50 again? Holy mackerel, why not? All of a sudden, Dick Patrick and I, again, we're talking about this the other day. We were on the ice, we gave him his 500th celebration, 500th goal celebration. And honestly, it seemed like the next season we were giving him his 600th. (laughs) And now we're planning on a 700th. Yeah. Right, and there's this inevitability. Once you get to 700 goals, you're in really, really rare company, and then it's the great one. And you know, I've spoken with Wayne. Wayne admires Alex. Alex certainly <laughs> admires Wayne. And it's hey, if anybody could ever do this, it's it's Alex. And I think that would be fantastic for the league. I think yeah. that would be fantastic for, you know, everyone to have that kind of historic pursuit going on. 
But what I admire and love about Alex is he'd much rather get a second Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, the Stanley yeah. Cup was just awesome for the community, for the teammates, for he and his family. And, um, and so he's really done a great job in balancing and maturing into what's important and what's not. So he's, he's just been a delight. You know, I, I pray that we'll get another one like him, but I don't know if <laughs> that'll be possible during my lifetime to have someone like Alex. Well, in the organization, I just can't believe you're talking after that contract signed. You like we're going to start talking about, hey, what's the next one going to look like? Like that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Thirteen yeah, more lifetime. years. It'll be a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, as long as he wants to play. Oh, that's great. Well, Ted, thanks so much for doing yeah. this. It was all a lot right. Of fun. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. I want to thank Ted again for joining the podcast um, and really making it work in, in getting both part one and part two, so we could have the the conversation we wanted to have, not not the complete conversation I wanted to have because I have three more pages, but he is a busy guy. And along those lines, I also want to thank the people on Ted's team, Gina Gatewood and Bob Schneider for helping arrange this. There's a lot of, um, a lot of back and forth that, that goes into getting carving out this much time with somebody who is pulled in as many directions as Ted Leonsis is. So Gina and Bob, I really appreciate your help, as well as Tyler Hunt, producer of the show, who did a great job lining all that up. It was a lot of moving parts, but I'm really glad that we were able to do it, and it was a lot of fun to do. So thank you so much for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>